welcome to New Spring Church. It is wonderful to see all of you here today. And for those of you who are worshiping with us online, thank you so much for joining us. We're thrilled to have you as well. We have a great service planned for you. Over the next hour, we're going to continue to worship with this incredible band, and then we're going to hear a message from God's Word. We're presently in the series called Build It, and today's talk is called Prep Work. Now, if you're a first-time visitor here at New Spring, I'd like to chat with you for just a second. If this is your very first time here, we just want to say thank you so much for checking New Spring out, and we are so excited to have you, and we would love the chance to get to know you just a little bit better. So please, fill out the Talk to Us card that you received in your worship guide. You can put down whatever information you're comfortable with sharing, and then just slip it in the offering bucket as it passes by. Or better yet, take it back to guest services. There's one both in the front lobby and back by the coffee shop. If you take it over to them, they would love to give you a free gift as our way of saying thank you so much for being with us. Well, as I said, we're going to pick things right back up with the band, so make sure that you don't let them sing alone. And everyone, thank you so much for making New Spring a part of your week.
shelter, our rock, Lord, our comfort. May everyone be encouraged in your house today through the music, through the words spoken through Pastor Mark, God. And if there's anyone here that is a first-timer or doesn't understand who Jesus is all about, God, and why you sent him here, God, may they find love through him in this place, through friendly smiles of the people that are around them as they come in and out the doors, God. And may those of us that know Christ be encouraged to put more of him in our lives and less of ourselves so that we can be a light for Jesus within all those we come in contact with, God. Not just while we're in this place where it's easy to worship, but when we're outside these walls, God. Bless the time and the word spoken, God. We thank you for being here today, being with us. May you bless the word through Pastor Mark. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's can have a seat. We appreciate Ryan and the team leading us in worship today. Well, good morning. Welcome to the fourth of five weekend services here at New Spring. And as I look out and see you guys, I just want to thank you for being here. I know this is not always an easy church to attend. You get into traffic jams coming in and traffic jams going out and lines that you stand in in order to be here. Check your kids in. So we always, we never take it lightly that you spend part of your morning here at New Spring. And uh, if it ever gets to be too challenging to attend one of these services, on Sunday, we also have two on Saturday night. They're not quite as congested, so if that's ever an option for you, I just want to let you know about that. Plus one at 8.15, which is really early. But uh, anyway, we're just so thankful that you're here today. In a few moments, I'm going to be back to bring you the second talk from the Build It series. Today's talk is called Prep Work. And uh, just a real practical message. Just can't wait to bring it again. But in the meantime, I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward to receive God's tithes and our offerings. It's our chance to show God that it's more than just words. And while that's going on, if you will, take a look at the screens at New Spring. Got some stuff coming up that you might be interested in. See you in just a moment. We're about to hear a message from God's Word, so please put your cell phones on silent. Also, if you have a child with you that begins to make noise, please step out onto the foyer so others can concentrate on the message without any distractions. On Friday, September 26, we'll be hosting middle schoolers from all over. For the big event, it's a middle school thing. There'll be inflatables, prizes, plus special guest entertainer, Justin Flom. So get your middle schooler their $7 ticket today at the New Spring store or online at newspring.org slash the big event. Due to Labor Day weekend, we will not be having our 5.30 or 8.15 services next weekend. All our other service times will remain the same. So join us on campus at 4 p.m. on Saturday or Sunday at 9.45 or 11.30 a.m. If you're going to be out of town that weekend, why not catch a service online? We'll be broadcasting during all five of our normal service times. So just tune in to newspringonline.org. If you're ready to go public with your faith, sign up for our Watermark Baptism Celebration for students and adults coming up soon. The last day to register is August 31st, so visit newspring.org watermark to sign up today. You can be part of something big when you give to NewSpring, and it's never been easier. If you want to give by using your smartphone, just use your browser to visit newspring.org slash mobilegive. You can also give using your mobile device by downloading the Secure Give app. Just type Secure Give in the search bar of your app store and download it for free. You can always give when you're on campus by using a credit or debit card at one of our kiosks located around the building. If you'd like to give from home, visit newspring.org give, where you can set up a one-time gift or an automatic recurring donation. 
New Spring Church has been presenting Judgment House every October for the past 14 years. Every year, thousands of people from all over Kansas experience life change at Judgment House. This walkthrough drama presents the message of Jesus' love with high impact. Hundreds of volunteers are needed in a variety of capacities to make the presentation successful, from actors and tour guides to prayer walkers, greeters, and security. Each one uses his or her own God-given gifts to embark on a mission trip without even leaving town. You can be part of this great team by signing up as a Judgment House volunteer. Pick up a flyer at Guest Services for more information, then visit newspring.org jh to sign up as a volunteer. question to get us rolling this morning. What is it that you need to build? I'm guessing everybody in this room has got something you need to build. You may actually want to build a house or a tool shed, but you know, I'm talking about more important stuff like that. There are people here today who need to build a relationship. Maybe you just met somebody and you're wondering, where is this going to go? And you're thinking about building a relationship. Many of you are married and you're thinking about building a marriage. If you're parenting, boy, that's something you have to build. It doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come easily, does it, being a parent? And you're trying to build a relationship with your kids that will, will go through the various stages of child development. And then you want, a, you want a good relationship with your kids after they grow up and leave the house, if they ever grow up and leave the house, if they ever leave the house. Maybe I should say it that way. Um, it could be here that you're trying to build a business. You're trying to build a business from the ground up. Maybe you used to work for someone, but now you're building your own business or you're building a career. Or it could be that you work for a firm and you're going to love today's talk if you're in this category. And you're charged with building a team. Watch it when I get about two-thirds of the way through the message today. If you're in, if you're in charge of building a team, it's going to be some great stuff for you today. Or it could be that um, you have something that's more important that you're wanting to build. You're wanting to build a relationship with God, or you're wanting to build a church. So today, just think for a moment about what is that you want to build. Chances are there could be several of those things that you're, you're thinking about building. I don't want to spend a lot of time in review, but in case you weren't here last week, and if you were, we'll just kind of go over old ground for a moment. Last week, we learned there are three kinds of people in the world. There are wreckers, there are people who tear things down, there are occupiers, and then there are builders. Now, all of us are occupiers in one sense of the word. You can be the best builder here today. You can do great things and build and accomplish great things. You, know, you still occupy things other people have built. But an occupier is somebody who doesn't build anything. They don't tear stuff down, they don't build anything. They just sort of exist. But then we said there are builders last week. These are people who build. They, and, and we said that there are, there, there, there are four lines that form a construct in the mind of every builder. And it goes something like this. And this is true if you're a God follower or if you haven't yet begun to follow God. Or it's, it's even true if you don't even believe in God. But there are four things about a builder, four thoughts, graduated thoughts, that lead to the heart of a builder. Number one is I'm here for a purpose. Well, maybe I need to change something for a moment. I said if you don't believe in God. You know what? You really do have to believe in God in order to believe you have a purpose, don't you? Because if you don't believe in God, you're a cosmic accident. Strike that then. Okay, if you believe in God or you're open to believing in God, then you can say, I have a purpose. I'm not here by accident. I'm here for a reason. Well, the moment that you open yourself up to being here for a reason, it takes you to the second thought, which is, I need to leave things better than I found them. And as I said to you last week, some of your builders, you've never thought about that. You finally figured out what made you tick. Because you can, they can put you in any situation, and you just feel that. It's got to be it's gotta be better when you leave the room than when you walked in the room. Some of you are the people that just got to straighten pictures on the wall, right? Because you just got to leave things better than you found them. That is in your DNA. It doesn't matter whether you're CEO of a corporation or you're doing a minimum wage job. You just have to leave things better than you found them. That's the heart of a builder. I'm here for a purpose. I have to leave things better than I found them. But if I'm going to leave things better than I found them, then I'm going to add to the landscape. Something within this landscape has got to change. And if I'm going to truly add to the landscape, I've got to meet needs. Yesterday morning, just for the fun of it, I was reading the writings or the, the speech of one of the greatest entrepreneurs in the United States. This guy has been involved in starting some of America's most successful businesses. And he was just explaining to people what they need to know in order to start a business. And early on in this conversation, he said this, if you want to start a business, you've got to solve a problem. You've got to figure out how to solve people's problems. And I thought, wow. 
Buddy, you've just gone straight to number four of what we talked about last week. The heart of a builder says, I'm here for a purpose. I need to leave things better than I found them. In order to leave things better than found them, I, I found them, I've got to change the landscape. To truly change the landscape or add to the landscape, I have to meet needs and solve needs or solve problems. So we asked the question last week, you know, are, do you have the heart of a builder? Today we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about something important. We're going to talk about what you need to do before you can start building. The message today is called prep work. But before we get into that, let, let me just give you a little background because what we're extracting today is we're extracting these principles from a book of the Bible called Nehemiah. Nehemiah is going to give us the principles of building. And, and one more piece of review before I jump into today's talk. If you were here last week, remember I said, I'm only going to do half the work. You got to do the other half the work because this is at New Spring what we call a principle series. A principle is a universal truth. It's, in fact, let me say, it goes even beyond that. A principle is a universal force that God has spun into the world that is universally true and it works in any environment. And you can plug it in in any place. You can plug it into the business world. You can plug it in with your family. You can plug it in with your friendships. You can plug it in with your artistry. It doesn't matter. It's a principle. It works in every situation. Here's an example. A biblical principle is you harvest what you plant or you reap what you sow. That's true. You, you could take that principle, put it in any area of your life, any, any arena of your life, and that's going to be true. Even people who don't believe in God call it karma. But there's a manager. There's a, there's a God behind it who manages. So it's not karma. It's, it's the principle of, of sowing and reaping or planting and harvesting. Well, there, there are principles to building. And, and we're going to pull those from the book of Nehemiah. And the thing, as I said a few moments ago, uh, there's a temptation for me. I want to give you the principle, and then I want to spend 20 minutes showing you how it could work here and how it could work here and how it could work here. But I would waste an awful lot of time, and I might not even get to your situation. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the principles, and you've got to do the other half of the work. You've got you to say, okay, I, I see how that works, how this could work in my life. So with that out of the way, let's reintroduce ourselves to the book of Nehemiah. If you have an Old Testament or if you have an electronic device with the Bible app, you will notice that Nehemiah occurs in the middle of the Old Testament. But as I said last week, the Old Testament is not chronological. Nehemiah is the last history before Jesus shows up. So you got Nehemiah, then 400 years of silence, and boom, John the Baptist comes on the scene, then Jesus in the New Testament. So Nehemiah comes at the end of the Old Testament. And Nehemiah is a Jewish person during the time when the Jews have gone into captivity. And they've been in captivity for 150 years. One more thing. I said last week that the Persians were ruling at this time. The Babylonians were the first people to take the Jews away, and they'd been pretty brutal. They had, they had ravaged all the stuff that the Jewish people had, carried it away to Babylon, carried the Jews away to Babylon. The Babylonians had the idea, we'll take people from their land, bring them to our land, and make Babylonians out of them. Persians are very humane. Persians had the opposite idea. Let people go home. Let them live in their own lands. As long as they don't cause us trouble, Let's live and let live. And, and for the Jews, it was a especially good situation because, see, when Nehemiah comes along, his king that he works for, his king's stepmama is Esther. And not only that, the prime minister that this king would have grown up under was Mordecai. So at this point, there's a really good feeling between the Persians and the Jews. My goodness, 100 years before, the Persian king Cyrus had told the Jewish people, you know what, you guys need to go home. And, and I know the Babylonians, they, they tore your temple down and they took away all the gold and silver out of your temple. I'm going to give it all back. And in fact, I'm going to write a check. and You guys can go back and rebuild your temple, your holy place. And 100 years before Nehemiah, that had happened. But again, if you were here last week, let's get to Nehemiah's situation. It's 100 years later, and although they built a temple in the mid middle of Jerusalem, there are no walls. There's no security. Nobody can move into Jerusalem. It's a city with a temple in the middle and a ghost town surrounding it. And the word comes to Nehemiah that the city's all torn down and somebody needs to do something about it. But as I said, a lot of the Jews, even though the Persian king has told them they can go home, they're not in any hurry to go home. Jobs are plentiful. Susa is a nice place to live. There, there's no persecution. There's no racism, really. I mean, it's a great place to live. I mean, and, and after all, in order to go home, they got to travel 600 miles across a desert and move to a ghost town, a wasteland. Who's in a hurry to move home? Well, the last person in the world would be Nehemiah. Because you should understand, Nehemiah is not a preacher. He's not a religious leader. He's a businessman. 
He's a, he's a government leader. Nehemiah is CFO of Persia. And if you'll allow me just a little anachronism, like I said last week, I mean, Nehemiah is wearing Armani suits. He's got an extreme home in the palace district. He's driving a Mercedes 5 Series. He's got a huge bank account. He is the last man in Persia we would expect to move back home to Israel. Life is good if you're Nehemiah. You can mail it in for the rest of your life if you want to. But remember the heart of a leader? A leader says, I'm here for a purpose. You know what? Here's the thing. If you live out your life and all your purpose is just what you own, what you wear, where you live, and what vacation homes you have and what you, what you put into the water, if that's what you live and that is you, there's going to be a day when you wake up and you're not going to know why you lived. And even though Nehemiah had this cushy lifestyle with all these toys, Nehemiah said, I'm here for a purpose and what I'm doing is not it. And if I'm going to, if I'm going to live out my purpose, I've got to leave things better than I found them. And the problem is in Jerusalem. The problem is not in Susa. And I've got to change the landscape. I've got to add to the landscape in order to do that. I've got to solve needs. And so Nehemiah went to his king and he said, sir, my, my people are in trouble. Is it possible for me to go? And the king said, absolutely, Nehemiah. Not only can you go, I'm going to fund the trip. I'm going to send an army with you. And Nehemiah is back on his journey to rebuild. He will spend the rest of his life rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. He will leave his cushy lifestyle and do something that really makes a difference. Now we're getting close to our sermon where it starts. That's all introduction. Isn't that hard to hear? I have a vivid imagination. So I see sort of see Nehemiah and his posse and his entourage, you know, the army and everybody with him. He's riding in there. And I don't know if they go through a valley or come over here, and all of a sudden, there's Jerusalem, the panorama. I'm going to talk to some top performers here, and I know some of you are in the room. Have you ever taken on a job and you've been exhilarated and sickened at the same time? You're sickened by the condition of things and exhilarated at the opportunity. And I think that's what Nehemiah had to experience. I mean, it's like when he got there, there was a part of him that saw the city lying in rubble. Nehemiah was just sick. And yet, on the other hand, there was a part of him that was excited about the job. Now, what I'm going to talk about today, I'm not good at. Just want to, in the essence of full disclosure, let's make that clear. I'm not good at what I'm going to talk about today. It's the hardest thing I have to work on. And I'll tell you why. Because although I know I'm ADHD, I suspect I'm a little bit OCD. Do I have any soul brothers, soul sisters here today? <laughs> now, if I'm Nehemiah and I'm leading that group and I'm on my horse and I come over the, front of the hill and I see Jerusalem there, I don't care if it's 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to jump up and say, okay, everybody, we're here. Grab a shovel, grab a trowel. Let's go to work right now. But that's not what you do. When you have a huge job, you've got to do some prep work. And Nehemiah is going to do prep work. Now, I want to show you four things that Nehemiah does, but the third thing is so big, we're going to save it for another sermon. So I want to talk about one, two, and four, and this is going to help you, I believe, greatly. Now, early on last week, I shared with you that even if you weren't a God follower, these principles would still work in your situation. With this caveat, the first thing about prep work, you do have to be a God follower to do this. The first thing that Nehemiah did, I want to show you this, is he prayed. He prayed. And if you read the book of Nehemiah, a lot of you shared with me since last week that you're doing Nehemiah in your private study. When you read Nehemiah, you see over and over, he prayed before he did things. He prayed when he heard about Jerusalem. He prayed before he talked to the king. He prayed when he was under attack. He prayed when they were building the walls. Nehemiah prays. Do you pray? Let me, let me take this question in a particular place. Do you pray first? I mean, a lot of us are good at praying, God, would you please get me out of this mess? That's not a bad prayer. That's a good prayer. But how many of us pray, God, don't let me get into a mess? See, and that's what I love about Nehemiah. Nehemiah is not just praying, God, get me out of this mess. He prays first, and that's really important because in the book of Psalms, the Bible talks about people who wouldn't wait for God. They jumped right in and started doing things before they talked to God. Now, if you look at Nehemiah chapter 1, and I'm not going to read a lot of these verses because you have them before you, you can read them when you go home. I want, I want you just to notice six elements of Nehemiah's prayer. If you have the heart of a builder and you want to build a marriage, you want to build a family, you want to build a career, you want to build a business, you want to build a team, before you start building, while you're doing prep work, look at this outline for prayer and see if it's not some great coaching. The first thing that Nehemiah does, he reminds God of his faithfulness. And he starts off praying, God, now you know you always keep your word. God likes that. 
Because Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, without faith it's impossible to please God. Not difficult, impossible. And the Bible says the person who comes to God must believe two things. That he is, that he exists, that's not hard. But the second one is tough, that he's a rewarder. See, when you go to pray, God wants you to believe that he does reward people. Not exactly he's going to answer your prayer in the way you're asking it, just that by nature he is a rewarder or a listener. So the very first thing Nehemiah does is he tells God, God, you're faithful. <laughs> I love the second thing. It's little, but it's big to me. Nehemiah says, God, would you just see me praying? <laughs> God's a very big God. This is a big world. And Nehemiah says, Lord, would you please just look at me? Would you see me? You know, how many of you, when you're talking to somebody, you just want, want them to look at you? And so Nehemiah said, God, would you look at me? Now, the third thing that Nehemiah does in his prayer, if you're scrolling down through this, you'll see it. Nehemiah tells God, we've sinned. I know we've done wrong. My family sinned. I've sinned. Nehemiah gets personal. He confesses to God. But then he reminds God of his mercy and grace. He said, but God, you're a God that gives people what they don't deserve and doesn't give people what they do deserve. That's a good thing to remind God of. And then the fifth thing that he does, and, and I've got to tell you on this, I've taught on prayer before, and I've had, have you ever meet any ultra-religious people? You know, it's like, they just sort of like walk around like this. They scare me. Um, <laughs> we don't have just a whole lot of it new spring. But I've taught on prayer before, and I've had people like ultra-religious people say, I don't think that's right. I don't think you should ask God for that. Well, thankfully, Nehemiah tells us it's okay. And that is number five. He asked God for success. He said, would you give me success? Let me tell you something. If you're in marketing and you start the day and you've got to meet a quota, I mean, why not ask God to give you success? You know what? If you've got a difficult task at work today or, you know, whatever you're doing, why don't you just ask God for success? You say, Mark, is it okay for me to ask God for success? Well, it must be because Nehemiah does. God, would you give me success? And then the next thing that he does is he asks God for something that's usually an important catalyst in regard to success. He said, God, would you give me favor with people of influence? Hey, here's the thing. All of us, in order to be successful, we're going to have to have the favor of people who can actually do for us what we can't do for ourselves. In Nehemiah's case, it's the king. And so he says, and, and this is what I love, New Spring. This is beautiful. He's already told God that he's a sinner. He's already told God that he's screwed up. But the fact that he's sinned and he's screwed up, it doesn't keep him from asking God, God, would you still let me be successful? And would you give me favor with people who have influence in my situation? He prays. Now let's cut to the chase. Is it really all that important for you to pray and ask God for help before you launch off into building? Well, yeah. How many of you built anything? You built a house. You built a building. What do you have to have before you can build? You can have a permit. Man, you've got to get those plans stamped. I mean, you talk all day about the plans. You can meet with your architect, but you've got to get those plans stamped. You've got to get a permit because here's what happens. If you start building without a permit, somebody from the city is going to come along and say, that's got to come down. Am I right? That's got to come down. And see, that's what happens to a lot of us. And we say, I don't know where God is. I was trying to build. I was trying to build a relationship. I was trying to build a marriage. I was trying to build a career. And all of a sudden, it just blows up on me. Well, it could be because we didn't ask God about it. We started building without a permit. And God comes along and says, that's got to come down. So the first thing that I see that Nehemiah did was he prayed. Now, before I give you the second lesson, I want you to see it in the Bible. We're going to read it, and then we're going to start extracting some stuff. And again, this is something that whether you're a God follower or not, I promise you, you can leverage this. Nehemiah 2, verse 11. I arrived in Jerusalem. Three days later, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us except the donkey I was riding. After dark, I went out to inspect. There you go. Just let that flash of neon at you. To inspect the broken walls and burned gates. Before you start building, ready for this? You need to have honest assessment and analysis. Honest. I stress that. Honest assessment and analysis. You know, Jesus talked about this in a verse that many of you know. In Luke 14, verse 28, Jesus said, Which of you, intending to build a tower, a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost? Now, if you grew up in church like I did, you know that verse. What's the, what's the, what's the phrase we always extract out of that verse? Lord knows I've heard 100 sermons with this title. Count the cost. 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 
Honestly, I grew up in church. I've been preaching since I was 16. I've been, this, I'm in my 30th year here. I saw something in this verse I'd never seen before. And I think the reason I've never seen it is because I'm not good at it. As you can tell, I have a hard time sitting down. I mean, I grew up in school. And, and you know, teachers, I was, I was like an A student, but the teacher would always put, Mark cannot stay in his chair. I wasn't deliberately disruptive. By the way, do we have, any, do we have anybody in education here today? You're a teacher. You're, you're an aide, you're an administrator, you're principal. Just raise your hand for a moment, please. We want to we let you know that we're praying for you this year and we appreciate what you're doing. Would you just... I got to tell you, some of the biggest heroes in my life were the people who taught me, especially in elementary and middle school. So thank you for the work that you do. And I, I feel so bad for my poor teachers because, you know, I... I I worked hard, but I couldn't sit still, couldn't sit down. Now, I'll tell you what I saw in the text for the first time, and that's the word, sit down first. <laughs> I don't like to do that, but Jesus said it. He said, before you build, you sit down first and you analyze. See, here's the thing. Some of you are in relationships, but you didn't sit down to analyze it. If, if you had really sought for information, there were key people around you who could have told you things, you could have learned things, so you would have never started building that relationship if you'd sat down first and counted the cost. Some of you have made career moves you would have never made if you sat down first and counted the cost, or you would have approached it totally differently. So before Nehemiah starts building, very quietly, he goes out and he begins to examine the situation. Now, all of you who want to build, notice that this is not a season for talking too much. In Nehemiah 2.12, he said, I'd not told anyone about the plans. In verse 16, he said, I'd not spoken to the Jewish leaders or anyone else in the administration. When you're going through a time of analysis, it isn't time to talk a lot. You don't know what to say yet. And I love this. This is almost parallel to that. Watch this. He went out at night. It's really important when you go through a time of evaluation and analysis to do it at a quiet time when other voices are not yelling in your ear. Mistakes and mistakes are made when we get too many voices speaking into our ear at the same time. I love the fact that Nehemiah went out at night when it was quiet, when he could think clearly and watch this leaders. He went out at night at a time when he was least likely to be asked for answers that he didn't have yet. I gotta be honest with you. I'm a little sympathetic to all our politicians, and I'll tell you why. In this age of instant cable news, did you know there are situations when our president learns about something right about the same time we know about it? Our Congress and our elected officials, they learn about stuff when we learn about it because it's on cable news. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing, it just is what it is. But one of the challenges for a leader is to be able to get alone when you, and I, and I feel bad for our leaders because a lot of times they get, they get pressed for answers they don't have yet. They haven't had the opportunity to go through this evaluation and analysis. Well, here's the thing. Nehemiah wasn't going out to see whether or not he was going to build. He was there to build. That train had already left the station. But he wanted to go out and inspect things. Why is it important to do this? Because if you're in leadership or if you're in charge of building something, sooner or later you're going to have to roll out the plans for everybody. And remember this, speculation without information leads to frustration. Everybody in leadership clearly understands management of expectations is absolutely essential. Because most people can deal with the truth if they know what to expect. How many of you have been in a situation where you had a leader who didn't go through analysis, rolled out a set of expectations, and six weeks into it, you learned, out that, those, you learned that those expectations were way too rosy, and now you have to adjust to a whole new reality? And so Nehemiah knows he's going to have to tell the people what they're up against. And speculation without information leads to frustration. He needed to know what they were up against. I, I'm dealing with a personal situation right now that affects New Spring in that regard. Um, for a year now, our leadership team and our board have been working and praying toward a new building here at New Spring because we desperately need it. And this building would give us several things. It would be an attached student building. A lot of you have kids in, in junior high. You know, they have to walk across a parking lot at a, at a challenging time. 
And uh, the building that they're in has been used for a lot of things. We've actually had funerals and weddings there. You really shouldn't have high school meetings in a place where you've had a funeral. Um, we, we, we try to make it updated, but it's, it's not purpose-built. So we need a purpose-built student building. And then, you know, we need a fourth and fifth grade environment. And then, as you guys well know, we need additional worship space because we're in August and you can look how crowded it is. Overflow is crowded. So we need that plus we need additional worship space for parents with small children that's child-friendly and parent-friendly. Um, and we need a new lane to get out of the parking lot so the traffic jams are not as bad as they are. We need office space because we don't have an office as far as staff. We, you know, we just need to grow. And the cool thing about this building that I love so much is it allows us to repurpose two existing buildings. So it's like getting three buildings for the price of one. <laughs> the only thing is we got figures for it this week. And now we're involved in and our board will be involved in deciding what can we have and what can we not have. We're going through that time of analysis before we bring it to you and say, this is where we're going to go. And I would surely appreciate you praying about it. Now let's go to a different place. For all of you who are planning and working and you're, and you're analyzing something before it happens, it's very important who you have around you. Nehemiah, according to the Bible, took only a few others with him. And we can tell from the text, he didn't take them based on seniority, and he didn't take them based on position. We don't know who these people are. He just took a few hand-picked people with him in order to analyze things carefully. Now, here's the thing. Guys, I wish I knew how to preach, because if I did, I would tell you that whatever it is that you're going to do, you're going to have an inner circle that is going to help you make things go. Who do you need in your inner circle? Oh, there's some great lessons here. And we don't know who they were, but we can analyze the situation and we can know the kind of people that Nehemiah would pick. And first of all, well, I'll take the situation and work backward. Eventually, he's going to have to roll out a report. All of you in management and leadership, what kind of reports are you going to have to roll out? It's going to have to be a balanced report. Because you can't take out a bunch of naysayers. They've already decided to build. As I said, that train has left the station. And by the way, all of you who've ever led, you know the trouble of having naysayers with you. They can think of 37,000 reasons why it's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's going to fail. It's going to fail. You don't want those people with you. Let them stay home. Let them stay asleep. <laughs> and on the other hand, you can't take the, you can't take the carelessly optimistic. You can't take people out there where you say, oh, it's not going to be a problem. It's going to be a two-inch putt. You've got to have balanced people. You've got to have people that believe in the program. They're committed to do whatever it takes, but by the same token, they can't be yes men. Yes men. Yes women. They can't be, they can't be people that will just tell you what you want to hear. And guys, I want to tell you something. If you can find those people in your life who, who, are, who are visionary and love the, love the project and at the same time will tell you the truth, you've got somebody very special. The first thing that Nehemiah's got to have, he's got to have balanced people. Second thing that he's got to have is he's got to have competent people. See, Nehemiah is really good at what he does. He just doesn't know everything about building walls. So when he goes out at night to get a proper assessment, he has to get some people who know what they're talking about, who actually have demonstrated a measure of competence. I have a little bit of sadness when I think about this point. You know, last week I told you there are wreckers, occupiers, and builders. I can almost turn the pages of a yearbook in front of me and I can see friends that I have who are wreckers. They're at the top of an organizational chart, but they're wreckers. But they're very gifted. They could leapfrog all the way from a wrecker to builder if they could handle one thing, and it's this. If they were willing to surround themselves with people who are smarter than they are. How many of us have CEOs? How many of us have lead partners? How many of us have people at the top of our organizational chart, but they're so insecure in their own skin, they cannot have people around them who know more than they know? I gotta tell you something, I do that out of self-defense. I always tell people on in my internal team, I won't hire you unless you're smarter than I am. I already know what I know. I need to know what you know. So that's what Nehemiah's got to have. He's got to have competent people. He's, he's a government official. He doesn't know everything about building. And so secondly, he has to have competent people. Oh, this third one is nearly impossible today. <laughs> he's got to have people who can keep their mouth shut. Oh, we live in the age of instant information. I have friends who tweet me. I, they tweet me so, so much information. I don't want to know what kind of Sunday they're having at Cheesecake Factory. 
I don't want to know what movie they're watching. But that's the age that we live in today, right? I mean, it's like people, it's like whatever they're saying is out there. Well, you got to understand, Nehemiah needs people that can be quiet enough, long enough for them to develop a plan. I mean, if it had been today, somebody on Nehemiah's team would have tweeted this out in the middle of the night. Malachi at Malachi the engineer out here at midnight with hashtag Nehemiah inspecting the walls. I'm cold and it's a mess. <laughs> now you can understand why Nehemiah only took a few with him. Now here's the big thing. Now, all, all this up to now has just been getting to this. How do you find those people? How do you find those people who can be part of your inner circle? Well, I mean, now you know why Nehemiah prayed, why he prayed first. Listen, you're not going to get anywhere in life until you have a group of people around you who can help you. None of us, none of us gets there by ourselves. I'm in my 30th year here at New Spring. I love this church like I love my life. I've watched it grow from 350 on a weekend to 7,000. But I want to tell you something. I didn't, first of all, it's all God. And I want to tell you, even the work that I've been pleased to do, I didn't get here by myself. God brought people to me who knew what I didn't know. And I listened to them and I learned from them. And that team together, God is used to, to, to bless New Spring. And it's the same for you. Nobody gets by, there by themselves. If you have to be a prima donna, if you have to be the center of attention, if you have to be the person who gets all the credit, I promise you, going nowhere in this world, you need a team. All of us do. All of us do. Pray and say, God, would you send me? You know what's interesting about the inner circle at New Spring, and those of you who know me closely know this is true? Do you know that most of my inner circle, the world would consider ordinary, but they have super ordinary capabilities? I didn't go to grad school. I didn't find PhDs. And yet the irony is every day of the week, somebody with a PhD will call my inner circle and say, how do we do this? I think God brought them. I want to tell you the second thing, and I promise you I have lived this out. I've lived this out. I know it's true. It's not going to sound big to you when you first hear it unless you've, unless you've put together a lot of teams. If you want to know who to surround you in your inner circle, listen to people. Listen. When you share your dreams, when you share your visions, when you've got big initiatives and big object objectives, Watch their faces and listen to what they say when you tell them about it. Guys, we've, in 30 years at New Spring, we've been through all kinds of seasons. We've been through all kinds of twists and turns and all that kind of thing. And God has put things upon my heart. And I would tell people about it. And sometimes I would just watch their face and just glaze over. It's like they may as well be in the casket somewhere. <laughs> you can't use those kind of people. But I would talk to people like Dan Kubish and Billy Poor long before they ever joined our staff, and I would tell them about something that God had put on my heart, and I would watch their eyes light up. And you can, and if, you've ever, if you've ever been at this moment, you can you tell them about See, here's the thing. Weak minds talk about people. Good minds talk about things. Great minds talk about ideas. Watch people's faces when you talk about ideas. Watch people's faces when you talk about vision. And those people who light up and they begin to make comments that you haven't thought about. They begin to say, you know, Mark, here's how we could do this. And they start thinking of creative ways I've never dreamed of. And that's how I found out how to put my inner team together. You just listen to people. Watch people. Man, you don't want the naysayers. You don't want the people who are carelessly optimistic. You don't want the people that really don't care about the vision. You want people who will sell out for the dream personally, not because they believe in you, but because they believe in the vision and they believe in the dream. And now the third thing, and this one's the hard one. I got a buddy here who's been a friend of mine for years at New Spring. He may be in this service. One of my closest friends. He's an HR specialist. I mean, my goodness. He's a consultant today. People call him from the very top echelons of business, and they ask him, how do, we, how do we deal with this? How do we hire this person? He's an HR genius. And so many times he has said to me this, A people draw A people, C people draw C people. Here's the thing. If you want to draw the best people, you've got to be a great person. And I don't mean great in the eyes of the world. I mean, I'm just saying this. You, can't, you cannot draw people to you who will pay the price if you won't pay the price. You cannot draw courageous people if you're not courageous. You cannot draw people who will take the lead if you don't take the lead. If, if, you, if you don't ride your horse out and go at the beginning in the front of the battle, front of the army, if you don't ride your, if, in other words, if you won't be the person you need to be, 
you won't draw the kind of person you need to, people you need to draw. Okay, I got three minutes to bring the most important point of the message. Let me just read it to you. Then the people of Judah begin to complain. Oh, by the way, the third thing is organization, but we'll get to that later. Here's the fourth thing. Then the people of Judah begin to complain. The workers are getting tired, and there is so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the walls by ourselves. Billy Poor, my, exec, my executive assistant, would, or my executive pastor would tell you, I wanted to do a whole sermon just on this one thing. We just didn't have the time. The people said to Nehemiah, we, we, we can't build. There's just so much debris. You say, well, Mark, what does that mean to me? What does that have to do with me? It has so much to do with you. What was the debris that they were dealing with? Well, it was, it was the wreckage from the previous walls. That's easy. Let me ask you a question. How do you work when you're working in debris? Now, here's the thing. <laughs> I remember when we were building this building, and I'd, I'd never been part of that before. This is back in 97 or so. We were working with architects, and we let things out for cost. And I was blown away by how much cost was going to go into site work. Site work. That's the first time I'd ever heard that term, site work. Site work's not sexy. There's, there's no red iron going up. There's no building going up. It's just getting the dirt ready to put a building on it. Stuff underground, well, that's expensive. But you know what, this was a mile field. So we were building for the first time out here. I'll tell you when site work gets really challenging, that's when you have to rebuild. You know, if you're 17 years old, you think about building a career, you're like building in a mile field. You're starting from scratch, there's not a lot of debris out there. If you're going into your first marriage, well, there's no debris out there too much. You know, you can start building from scratch, but. A lot of us know that we live in a world that's pretty tough and you live very long. It isn't long before something you put your heart into fails. And now, you know, like James Taylor said, sweet dreams and flying machines and pieces on the ground. There's debris everywhere. Debris from past relationships. Debris from past job failures. De debris from careers that dried up and blew away. Debris. And there's a part of you, listen, isn't it true? If you are trying to start again, after you've gone through heartbreaking situations, there's a part of you that looks at all that rubble on the ground and says, is it even worth it? If the walls came down last time, how do I know they won't come down again? If my last marriage failed, how do I know that this marriage won't fail? If I got fired last time, maybe it's not worth building. There's just so much debris. Oh, I'm out of time. And, and I'm just getting to the message today. Thank you. <laughs> you know what's interesting about what these guys were doing? Do you realize what they were doing is they were building these walls, and at times they would look down at their feet, and they'd find a big enough piece that would work, and they'd pick it up and say, you know what? I think this would work in the new wall. But then there were pieces of debris they looked at, and they said, this can't work in the new wall, and it's just getting us down. When I saw that, I thought, that's my life. How many of us have to rebuild? And yeah, the walls crumbled, but you know what? We learned a lesson last time. We learned something we didn't know. We said, you know what? I believe I can pick that piece up and I can put it in the new wall. Or maybe we made a relationship, we made a friendship in the last situation. And yeah, it didn't work out, but that friendship survived. And we said, you know what? I want this person to go with me. And so you said, well, that, 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 that piece can fit into the wall. you know there's some pieces that can lie on the ground and they can, rec they can represent a whole lot of investment in our lives but the truth be told they don't belong in the new wall I'm talking to somebody here today and you're still angry about what didn't work out and that and a piece of anger lies there you don't want that in your new wall you know you just need to clear it off get rid of it and, and there are people here today if somebody's hurt you and it's a big old piece lying there on the ground but doesn't fit in the new wall you don't want hurt in your new wall. You say, well, Mark, I, I have a right to be hurt. I agree. I get that. I, I couldn't agree with you more, but you don't want that in your new wall. 
I mean, here's the hardest thing that I have to deal with when I have to rebuild from the failure of the past is to look at a piece of something, some debris on the ground that I spend a lot of money on, that I invest a lot of personal capital in, but the fact of the matter is it just doesn't belong in my new wall. And there's a part of me that says I don't care how much this costs me. I don't care how much I personally invested in it. I don't want it around when I'm trying to build a wall. I need to just carry it off and get rid of it. And ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. If you want to build a wall, there's some debris that's got to be removed. It just doesn't belong in your new wall. If it's something you can leverage and use, then put it up there and put some mortar around it. But if you can't use it, let it go, cut it loose, and move on to building the wall that God has given you to build. One more thing. You do realize that's what salvation is about, don't you? This is why I hate religion. See, religion <laughs> religion messes up the, the distinction between building the wall and carrying off the debris. Religion says your relationship with God is building the wall. Well, that is your Christian life, but that's not your salvation. Your salvation is the God of the universe carrying off all your debris so that you can build the wall. Some of you just now understood what the Christian life is all about. Following Jesus is building the wall. Salvation is God putting all the debris on Jesus on the cross and him carrying off the debris so you can build. Have you done that? You say, well, Mark, I'm trying to live a good life. Scratch that. No good. That's debris. You say, Mark, I'm, I'm trying to be religious. No good. You say, well, I'm a, I'm a member of New Spring. Love that, but that's not going to get you into heaven. Can't get you into, it can't get you out of Sedgwick County when you die. You say, I've been baptized. Baptism's great. Watermark's coming up. If you've already accepted Jesus, you need to go public with your faith. But Wichita water can't wash away anybody's sins. There's only one thing that can remove all the debris from our lives, the brokenness, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ that came out of his veins when he hung on the cross for you and me. And the Bible says no matter what you've done, how you failed, how much debris is on your ground, if you will come to Jesus Christ, a broken, flawed woman, broken, flawed man, and you will come to Jesus and say, Lord, I need you to forgive me. I need you to take all my debris away so that we can, we can begin to have a relationship. He will do it. He's promised he will. He will not break his word. Listen, if you've never done that, I'm going to pray a prayer with you because the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And you can do it right now. You can pray it with me. Everybody being still right now. Nobody moving around. Oh, this is a very sacred moment. If you want to accept Jesus, pray with me. And the important thing is not that you say these words, but that you mean what these words say. Let's go. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. Lots of debris. But I believe you love me anyway. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. I believe the blood that came out of his body paid for my sins. I believe Jesus rose from the grave. And I ask for him to be my Savior and my Lord. Take away my debris so that I can have a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, I haven't quit. But if you just prayed that prayer, Right now, I have a gift I want to give you, and you can get it. No, we're crowded. But if you'll go back to guest services, a big one out in the lobby, little one back by the coffee shop, I've got a packet I want to give you. It's got a, a book I wrote and a DVD and a coupon for a new Bible. All you got to do is take, our, take your Talk to Us card back. I promise you, they won't hassle you, stalk you. They just want to give this to you, okay? And one more thing. I know I'm five minutes over time. I can't believe that. One more thing. Next week, we're on an abbreviated schedule, only three weeks. It's Labor Day weekend, but I got to tell you, I got one of the biggest talks from Nehemiah next week. So we'll just figure out how to get chairs in here, okay? If you're in town, you do not want to miss this. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week.